I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the PM here on Ausbiz. Eastern Daylight Time just gone at 12 noon. Of course, we kick off the afternoon schedule as always with the call 10 stocks suggested by you. We put to uh, two experts and uh, uh, they give us some guidance on what they think of those stocks. And today, delighted to be joined by Howard Coleman from Team Invest. Howard, uh, good afternoon to you. Yeah, good afternoon, David. How are you? Good to have you back on the panel. And also Gary Glover from Novus Capital. Gary, good to see you again, mate. Thanks, David. Um, look, before, just quickly, before we get into your stocks and the stock of the day, I thought I'd pick the brains of the guys on an issue that's really come up in the last couple of days, driven largely by Jeff Wilson from Wilson Asset Management, um, who came on Ausbiz yesterday and was really on this campaign to stop listed companies from having virtual AGM, something they're having to do now from COVID. He's saying... We don't want that to continue. How common from Team Invest, what's your view on this shift towards um, virtual AGMs? Yes, can understand it during COVID times, but is it a sign of the times? Should it become more entrenched in the future? Uh, definitely not, uh, not from a point of view of protecting the interests of shareholders. It would certainly protect the interests of directors, but not of shareholders. Um, uh, you know, there's no reason why we shouldn't use technology as well. And a number of companies already last year before COVID had their meeting virtual as well as in person. So they had the room with people in it and you could also join in online. Now, that's the intelligent way to go because it allows shareholders all around the country to join in. Um, But you don't want um, directors to be able to vet the questions with nobody else hearing them or reword the questions. Um, In the end, the directors are the employees of the shareholders. We're their bosses. And um, for them to uh, not have to front up and talk to their boss ever in an entire year is just not acceptable. And Team Invest, we've had some discussions about it. And all our members around the country, around 540 people, all high net worth uh, investors, we've pretty much decided that from next year, any company that holds its AGM virtually only, we're going to vote all our shares uh, individually against the re-election of any directors and against the remuneration report. Now, we very much encourage them to have a hybrid meeting so they can have a uh, online meeting as well as the face-to-face meeting. But any company that chooses online only, we're going to be campaigning for everybody to vote against the re-election of all directors uh, and against the remuneration report. Wow, that's a really strong stance. Uh, Gary, what do, you, what do you think of this move to virtual AGMs? Yeah. Oh, look, I agree with Howard there. I'm not sure if I'm going to vote with my uh, <laughs> on the matter, but, uh, but yeah, I agree. I think there should be, 
I, th I think Howard's spot on. It should be a mixture of should be should be in person and recorded nowadays. Yeah. Um, but they do need to be. You can't sort of front up there without having being able to ask questions from the shareholders. So yeah. you know, if you're if you're a sort of shareholder with an interest in a company, you should be able to ask the the company yeah. director some questions. So if you can do that through the the, the uh, a platform um, fairly and um, openly, then maybe yeah. there's a room for it. But at the moment, I agree with how I think this. I think it's a place of both. I think you should be able to turn up there. You should also be able to, um, yeah. Because I mean, it, in my experience, some of the directors don't often uh, don't do what they say they're going to do, yeah. and so they should front the music when then the shareholders um, ask them what's going on. So yeah. um, I think that's only fair. And 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 also, with uh, Howard's quite right with some of these vir virtual AGMs, they've been saying submit your questions in, yeah. <laughs> and then we we will answer them. But yeah. how do you know? The questions aren't being left off, and there's no chance of a follow-up question as well. If yeah. if um, a director or a chief executive answers it and it's just plain bulldust, um, you don't have the ability to say, "Well, you haven't really answered the question at all." I mean, the other the other issue at the moment, Dave, is that um, companies are giving no guidance at all whatsoever. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't think that's right either. I think uh, companies should be sort of giving some sort of guidance or. Mm -hmm. um, or be forced to give a trading update. If you go back to you know Y2K, which was a non-issue, yeah. companies were uh, had to give um, guidance around what they were doing around that matter. So at the moment, companies should be giving some sort of trading guidance mm -hmm. as to how they're trading in this environment. So yeah. uh, at least we're not giving the full measure. Give us a half measure or give us something, um, yeah. some, some minimums there um, in terms of how the business is coping. Yeah, um, Howard, would you agree with that as well? Um, I'm less concerned about that. Uh, having been involved in budgetary processes in running companies uh, through my life and being involved in many different companies, um, no matter how much time and energy is devoted into creating budgets, they really turn out to be accurate. Um, it's a little bit like predicting the weather a month in advance. and. Um, Yes, you know, you, you, you may be a tiny bit more confident after you've done a budget than you were before you uh, did your budget, but few businesses can predict in mm. advance. So we take very little notice of guidance. Uh, we're much more interested in what has actually happened and how confident the chairman and the CEO and the board members sound. And for that, you need to be there. Because yeah. I've noticed this year joining in in virtual meetings, firstly, they don't answer all the questions and uh, that you submit, and they reword questions sometimes that you submit um, because two or three people asked a similar question. But worst of all, you can't actually see them so that you can't see do they sound confident or do they sound unsure of themselves. And I learn more by standing around at an AGM having a cup of coffee with the chairman or CEO after the meeting, not because they tell me anything, they haven't told me anything they didn't say in the meeting, but just by observing how confident they sound, how comfortable they sound. Uh, I worked, walked out once some years ago from an AGM and said to a friend of mine from Team Invest who was there as well, you know, I've got the impression that CEO won't be there for long. And he said, yeah, I got the same impression. Um, he, he didn't seem overly interested in the business. And sure enough, a month after the AGM, he announced he was uh, resigning and he was okay. going somewhere else. Mm. So it's that body language issue, which is Absolutely. important as well. 
All right, um, really good discussion on that and certainly message loud and clear there on virtual AGMs. Um, let's get stuck into the stocks we're looking at today. Um, always kick off with the stock of the day, something in the news. Beach Energy, I thought was worth looking at today. Set to snap up Senex Energy's Cooper Basin assets for $87.5 million in cash with the sale to result in a net cash position of around $30 million and expected to be completed early next year. Senex saying it will update on full year guidance uh, at its investor briefing on Thursday. Um, Gary, what do you think of the announcement and, and what's your view on Beach? Uh, so look, the company, I think the last full year result was revenue was off 14% for the year and net profit was off 13%, which was not a bad result in the climate. Um, pretty low debt, around about 50 mil, and I think the cash is pretty much 50 mil, so you know, not too much debt at all, uh, the company. It, it is a bit of a growth play, uh, Beach, so it's got a lot of sort of, um, uh, sort of more growth portfolio there. Um, Northwell Shelf and a few other issues. And this, this sort of acquisition there just sort of uh, adds to uh, the region they're already in. So it's sort of right. probably a good fit for them. And at the moment, obviously, you've got to think that some other assets are probably getting sold at a reasonable value here because of the, for the price. So if you think from a long-term perspective, buying in these uh, suppressed sort of times suppressed here times. is yeah. probably good here long-term. So um, I do, do like Beach. Uh, it's just kind of, you're, you're under pressure here with the oil price. Yep. Um, obviously, which has Europe, e- eased again over the last couple of days. Yeah, so look, it was off so. pretty hard yesterday. I think it yeah. popped up again last night. Right. Um, so I think um, the election result in the US is probably going to have a little bit of a say in the oil price as well. So yeah. uh, you know, Biden's pretty strong on uh, against fracking and green energy. So that could have a bit of an influence on on the view of uh, all stocks globally here after okay. after Wednesday. So. I think the I think sort of longer term here. This I think this there's a I like beach here. It's just sort of the short term whether it goes a little deeper right. or not. But yep. definitely thinking from a long term perspective there. Definitely yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I, do, I actually do like it here. Actually, I think it's um, I like the sector. Right. So I think I'm watching this pretty closely here, okay. particularly the US election. So it could be it could be a really good trade in that sector coming up here. Okay, uh, Howard. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the best in, in the sector in that it keeps its capital costs low, runs things very tight, very good management. Um, but we are dealing, as Gary says, with a commodity. And putting aside the politics of climate change, um, if we just look at the reality, human beings are remarkably innovative. The 19th century energy was uh, derived almost exclusively from coal. It was the coal century. The 20th century was the oil century, and Sheikh Yamani, head of OPEC, said about 35 years ago um, that the Stone Age didn't end because the world ran out of stones, and the Oil Age won't end because the world runs out of oil. And we've seen that already. Innovation in um, solar energy is bringing down costs so fast in both the uh, generation and the battery storage that it's very hard to see a long-term high value for oil. Sure, the price has come down ridiculously low now, but the days of oil getting up to $100 a barrel again are probably long gone. Um, We can generate energy now so much cheaper in other ways. So um, I'm not keen on anything where when I look five years or 10 years ahead, it looks to me like um, whatever it is they do, there's going to be less need for than there was today. So while I think it's an extremely well-run company, 
uh, and I admire them for the way they run it, no, I wouldn't be uh, enthused yeah. about it. I can't imagine any Team Invest members being interested in investing in it. All right. Let's get into uh, the 10 stocks that you suggest uh, we take a look at. And Elizabeth Howard wants a view on Goodman Group, the, uh, the big property company with assets um, across a, a range of, um, of different property sectors, haven't they? But, but mainly in that, that industrial sector and commercial. Yes, and in the industrial side, obviously, they're benefiting from the move to online. But um, again, this is one of the companies that's among the best in its class. But its return on equity has only been over 10% over the last three years or so. Um, it, its debt's okay. Its earnings per share is growing a little bit. The one problem at the moment with Goodman Group is that its PE ratio is right up in its uh, top quartile. So well-run company, share price too high. So if you do want to be in that sort of space, um, it's probably best in class in that space, but you wouldn't want to be paying the current share price when you were buying in because its PE ratio is, uh, I'll just have a, a look here at the moment, is about uh, uh, 24, and it tends to vary between about 12 and 18 um, mm -hmm. through most years. Mm -hmm. So to be paying a PE of 24 is a bit too expensive. Yeah. It's a bit of a, a, a darling of the market, Gary, is it at the moment? Yeah. <laughs> As yeah. Howard's saying, best in the sector, but boy, yeah. it comes with a premium. Yeah, I think Howard's sort of bang on there. Basically what the sort of profit the last four years was, uh, was up 9.9%, earnings per share growth up 9%. They're forecasting 12.5% profit uh, for the full year 20 and, uh, sorry, full year 21. And, um, so basically, they're forecasting sort of you know, around that sort of 10% um, growth there, which is which is great. But um, it is in a nice space there, a bit bit of uh, logistics and warehousing, which is popular at the moment. But yeah. can't get past the valuation at 22 and a half times. Yeah. Look at that five-year growth. And the yield is like 1.6%. You know, it's just to mm. me, it's price for perfection here. So right. you have all the risk here at the moment because you're basically a bit pricing in. For me, it's pricing in a lot of the forward growth here at the moment yep. in that multiple. Um, so if something does go wrong here, you're as a shareholder, you're you're going to suffer. If everything continues to go right, there's probably not. There's only a little bit of upside here, right. you know. Um, okay. So from a safety point of view, maybe you want to be in the best of the sector. But from a pricing point of view, you're paying. Yeah. You're paying full. It can't you know, be justified. Yeah, at this. yeah. You're paying full fright for the. Yeah. The property on the beach, you know, prime prime real estate, bang, it's, you know, yeah. Yeah, paying top dollar for it. Okay. Yeah. All right, Elizabeth, thank you for that suggestion. Uh, um, Gary, in the same sector, Mike wants a view on GBT Group, one of the, uh, well, it's a, a top 50 listed company, massive $24.5 billion portfolio across retail, office, logistic property assets, owns 12 shopping centres across Australia. It's... Uh, one of the oldest of the, the big yeah, properties, isn't it, REITs? Yeah, it's got yeah. some risk in there. So retail, yeah. office, yeah. and logistics. So two of the three sectors are, are under the pump at the moment. Yep. Um, I see they've basically got a planned sale of one Farrah Place. So plan to sort of yeah. sell a quarter of that. So yep. that tells me that... As in the last day or so. Yeah, so maybe we're going to have to, you know, if, if in these sort of uh, recessionary sort of uh, contractionary environments, the property trust can come under a bit of pressure. Anyone who's been through some of the cycles yeah. in the market knows that um, 
Yeah, property trust is one sector which can feel the squeeze. I know rates are pretty low here, um, but look, there's there's reasonable gearing on uh, GPT. There's there's going to be some pressure on the rents uh, moving forward here. So I just can't see fundamentally why I'd want to be in that sector. I think there's, a, there's some, some pretty high risk here. Price actions is pretty dull here. It's, uh, it's had a bit of a bounce, but it's kind of sitting sort of mid-range for me. So um, yeah, so technically it's sort of saying nothing to me. Um, fundamentals yeah. are telling me to be pretty, be a bit cautious of this one. I'd probably, yeah. you know, if I had to be in property trust, I'd be looking elsewhere. Okay. Um, Howard, your view on GPT? Yeah, pretty much agree with, uh, spot on with what Gary says. Uh, uh, it's on a pretty high PE for its recent performance as well. Um, so not much to be excited about. Its return on equity is lower than Goodman Group. It's more of a fund manager than, than only a property developer. But, but still, uh, as Gary says, you know, parts of its business are under quite a bit of stress. And when somebody like Daniel Andrews, a premier of one of our most important states, says he doesn't care whether people ever can get back to their offices or words to that effect, um, that's not a great spot to be in um, when you've got the premier of the state saying uh, he's not sure people should ever go back to their offices or certainly not within the foreseeable future. Um, so I, I would definitely give this a miss. And if I was going to invest in one of the property companies we've spoken about today, it would be Goodman Group, but I'm not enthused about uh, in any of them at the moment. Right. Okay. Sector uh, out of its um, out of its uh, out of favour at the moment. We we're kicking off with a bit of a property theme in our first uh, three ones. Sort of uh, we talked about um, commercial and shopping centres and industrial, but Michelle wants a view on Red Cape Hotel Group. They own. Uh, 33 hotels, um, 31 of them they own the freehold too as well, across New South Wales and Queensland, things like the Eastwood Hotel in Sydney, the, the Pig and Whistle in Ipswich in Queensland. Um, they did give, give some guidance in July when states started opening up and they said they had a better July 2020 they, than they did in, in 2019 and saying that uh, the first quarter performance uh, following the reopening of venues um, was actually pretty good for them and, and showed some resilience. Um, Howard, um, does that all stack up for you on Red Cape Hotel Group? Uh, but too short a history and the history that it's had as a listed company doesn't look all that exciting. Uh, earnings are growing, which is good, but the return on equity is incredibly low, which is probably because it's tied up a lot of money in all these properties. So far too early to tell whether this is going to prove to be a well-run company that could turn into a wealth winner. Um, I do hear from one of our team invest members who runs a booking engine used by some of these smaller groups. I don't know if Red Cape used them, but uh, smaller hotels, caravan parks, etc., around the country, uh, white label and use his booking engine. And he was saying that uh, whereas it went from everywhere being standing empty uh, in June, to now being fully booked all the way through Christmas and New Year in most cases, that there's been a huge amount of internal Australian travel booked. Um, people not being able to go overseas is probably part of the reason. So that may be good for Red Cape, but none of its metrics at this point in time uh, excite me. It's too early in the history of the company. And uh, now I, I'm, I think there's too much uh, negativity still around, I wouldn't invest in something with so short a history. Yeah, yeah. Gary, only been going 
less than two years. Yeah, look at at first look, I saw this and I thought, no. Yeah. I thought, uh, you know, pubs aren't a bit of pressure at the moment. Obviously, you know, another trust sort of, uh, you know, pretty negative view. Yeah. Once I had a look a little bit, of, uh, had a look under the hood. Actually, had a look at the, the company. Um, basically, the pubs that they actually do have, they're, they're, they're predominantly um, suburban pubs. Yep. So places like, you know, Willoughby, Belrose, sort of, yep. you know, in some good um, affluent suburbs. Yep. Um, and at the moment, where is everyone at the moment in the suburbs? <laughs> so uh, the yep. last few updates have been, I mean, the, the full year result was pretty decent. And yep. e- even with the sort of the tail end of COVID affecting the last quarter, and they've actually given a pretty good, they've actually given some guidance as well, which is pretty rare. And that's pretty solid as well. So they're actually seeing some reasonable numbers going through. The hotel's going quite well. And look, if anyone's, you know, m- most of us are working from home a lot more now. Yep. You know that your suburban cafes are full. You know that your suburban hotels are just as busy as well. Yep. So they're in a bit of a sweet spot here at the moment. So this is actually a little bit more interesting than it actually looks on the outset. So yep. um, just the only negative I see is the price has already had a good run. So everyone's yep. sort of caught on to... Yep. Um, that these guys are going quite well. But the longer COVID lasts, the better this stock will do. Right, okay. So um, just basically post-COVID, will we go back and be as busy in the suburban hotels as we have been? Um, Probably going to be more than we were in February, but maybe not as much as we are now, so somewhere in between. But looks like a pretty pretty good class of assets there. As as Howard's saying, just a freehold minimises return on equity, but still, still a reasonable business. So yeah. it's a property play rather um, and also a hotel play. Uh, would you buy it at around 96? Would you take a, a punt on it? The fact that it's gone to a new high here in the short term, no. Right. Yeah, just because it's had a really good run. I think everyone's sort of kind of, but, but definitely one of those stocks I would have a look, follow this stock. Right. If I saw it sort of start to put price cool off and the results still stay pretty robust, yeah. definitely one to, to have a look at. It's yeah. just a little bit different from a lot of other Yep. trust as well so in terms of sort of getting a bit of diversification it does offer that yeah. and and i must admit i went through the portfolio too because and when i saw the bell rose one <laughs> because we go there with the grandkids a bit i thought oh well if all the pubs are as good as this one yep. because that's a really well-run one and yep. um and really modern okay yep. one to watch michelle um thank you for suggesting that um, Gary Vishal wants a view on Clover Corporation. This is a really interesting uh, business. They're in the business of omega-3 oils, aren't they? And sticking it into uh, infant formula and children's foods and supplements. You, you almost um, think, is this one of the baby formula companies that uh, are out there? It's not. They um, have just started to get into the manufacturing of it, but it's really selling those omega oils to other manufacturers to put in the food. Isn't yeah, it? these sort of fish oils, tuna oils, sort of yeah, uh, yeah. which go into there. So they're they're hoping for um, some of the regulatory changes to um, to make this mandatory for the product to be in all yep. um, infant formula, which is not the case at the moment. But look, it's it's not a bad little spot, but they're they're only a small part of the the equation. Yeah. Um, and it's a bit of a side. I mean, it's, I think the PE is around 22. Look, the, look, the revenue line's pretty decent. It's up 15%. I think revenue was, what, 88 million for the full year. Net yep. profit has grown there, paying a dividend. So not bad. It's just it's still pretty small. Market cap's about 294 mil. So right. a little hard. They're just, they're kind of a bit of a side function. So 
Yeah, it's interesting. Like I think if uh, I think if regulatory changes do occur and it becomes mandatory to have this in the formula, then that that could be a bit of a game changer for them. Right. But the sector's had a bit of a hot run, and then the sector's cooling off here now. Yeah. So everyone immediately thinks, "Oh, is this like A two or baby yeah. bund? Uh, not baby yeah. bunding." Um, uh, Similarly, the, the you've seen, yeah, yeah. So you've seen quite a few. So they've all bubs as well. So bubs, they've all they've all had a hot run, of, yeah. and they're all been cooling off quite a bit. Just the problem it's is, a bit that, yeah. And I think the other thing too, Dave, is oftentimes you see, like if someone's a star in the sector, all of a sudden everyone else wants to yep. move into that sector. So there's been a lot more players come into there. So a bit yeah. more competitive pressures. Um, yeah. So it's just a little bit of a squeeze there on the PEs and on the growth there. So that's all. So, um, but. Okay. Interesting. I'm, I'm not sure. Too too small for me. Right. Too, okay. Yeah, a bit of risky there. Yeah. All right. Um, Howard, what do you think of Clover? Yeah, it's an interesting company. It passed our filters for many years, but was so tiny um, that members never really looked at it in great depth um, because you could hardly buy any shares on the, the stock market. It was so thinly traded. But its return on equity was excellent. Its earnings were growing. Uh, its debt levels were close to zero. So it ticked all the boxes other than it was so hard to get into buying any shares. Then it had three not very good years in 2014, 15 and 16, where it made profits, but the profits were considerably lower than previously return on equity plunged. It's now back to its high return on equity again, around about 20%. Earnings are growing again and have been since 2017. In fact, uh, even 2016, and uh, it's got virtually no debt. So, um, you know, and it's on a P of about 22. So once again, as Gary says, company's pretty small, but um, I don't equate it to the other companies that we were talking about earlier because it's not really a marketing company. It's really providing the ingredients. Mm. And uh, considering the long history that it's had of most of the time passing our filters in Team Invest, uh, it's not a company we've ever looked at in huge depth in Team Invest because it's too small, but it certainly does look quite good. So I would put it on uh, for today as a yes, probably uh, I'd look at it very seriously, uh, particularly because its PE at the moment is a bit lower than its average PE over the years. And most of the market is considerably higher than their average PEs over the years. Yeah. And at the same time, it's currently growing. So I would say this is maybe not a bad little investment, but you probably struggle to get more than a few shares at a time. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for a company that's uh, net profits up almost 24%, yeah. PE of 22 is, isn't, isn't, isn't that expensive. I mean, there's yeah. plenty of companies that aren't growing that fast, and the PEs are probably twice that. Yeah. It's just the sort of small... As how it says that the size of this enterprise that's the tricky part yeah because um, yep. yeah. you don't want to get stuck in it either <laughs> yeah but yeah look maybe if it comes slightly lower here it's probably i think maybe under 160 you're probably getting to a pretty interesting sort of price point here okay. and uh, pretty attractive so yeah all right um howard omer wants a view on near map now this is one of our uh, uh you could call it a, a tech stock uh, here in australia it basically photographs um, masses of land. It's photographed 88% of the Australian landmass apparently and now going overseas. Uh, it's called a geospatial map technology. A uh, lot of businesses and governments use it in terms of their planning and engineering and construction and uh, it's launching a beta version of its AI product um, as well. So uh, 
it's been it's been a bit of a roller coaster, hasn't it? Near Mapper seems to go in and out of favour pretty regularly. Yeah, it does. I mean, uh, uh, anybody who looks at its numbers wouldn't have it going in favour because um, it's great technology. I mean, every time I read about it and every time it comes up on one of these shows and I read some more, I get very enthused about what it does, but I'm not enthused about it as a business. It never makes any profits. It's always running at a loss. Uh, Its losses seem to get worse the more it sells. So sales go up and losses go up. It seems to be one of these businesses that seems to sell things for less than they cost. So the more you sell, the more money you lose and the more the shareholders have to pump in new money to keep you going. Now, I haven't spent enough time looking at it to be able to say that with absolute certainty, but all its numbers look exactly like that. It's got a massively negative return on equity. Its losses keep mounting uh, in terms of per share. It doesn't have much debt, but that's because it periodically needs to do a capital raising. So I'm very excited about what it does, and I wish it all the best of luck, but I think it needs somebody with some good business now on the board uh, or uh, as CEO to turn this thing around and turn it into a real business, and then we could look at it uh, from an investing perspective. But certainly no Team Invest member would get enthused looking at these numbers. Yeah. Uh, Gary, what do you think of Nearmap? And and they've got some competition too, yeah. haven't they now? Look, there's, there's actually been plenty of actually... Uh, the problem with this tech is that... Um, is it can be superseded pretty easily. Yeah. Uh, and there's quite a few. There's a thing called Spookfish, which came out uh, here after Nearmap and has actually been taken out already by another party. So they've been bought off right. the exchange. And there, there was a, quite a, there's a couple of Nearmap people, ex-Nearmap people in that asset. And right. that's supposed to be even the next further step along. So there's some risk with the tech as well, just because um, anything like that potentially can get, get you know, you can look further and better and stronger. Yeah. Um, but you know, Howard's, Howard's bang on there. So. The revenue line's up 25% for the for the year, which is fantastic. So 77 and 96 million, but the net profit has gone from a loss of 14 to a loss of 36 million. So it's more than doubled the loss. Right. Um, plus, we're also raising money. So we did what the 72 million dollar placement, 20 million on the SPP recently. So having to fund, having to keep raising money to to fund the growth. Yeah. Which is which is which is coming at a loss. So yeah, yeah these sort of companies are. People tend to follow these companies really rapidly when they have their really uh, high revenue line. Um, but if you're not making good margin there, and it's, um, yep. you find these stocks the ones that come up. I think if you, anyone's ever read um, the William O'Neill sort of books on the monster and um, the best performing stocks, on average they, they pull back about 72, 73 percent yep. once they've sort of had this boom and bust. Right. So even the ones that make money tend to come off pretty hard. So this yep. one's still not making money. So. I think this one's got some risk to the downside. I'm actually pretty negative of stock. Okay. All right. Um, and also, you know, no matter how good the story, it all boils back to basic business fundamentals. So, so you've got to make a profit. It does, there. But in, in the in the short term, you can get a, you can get around that. People yeah. initially, in the early days, when stocks come on, people tend to look at the the sales and revenue line, sort of yeah. see what the growth. Then they start to look at maybe earnings per share, profit later on. Yeah. Um, but so. It's had the revenue line here, but the other, the second line is not looking so good yet. Yeah, so that's yeah, yeah. that's why that the share is going down. Okay, let's recap the uh, the first five stocks and our stock of the day. Stock of the day was Beach. Uh, no, from Howard. Um, Gary likes it over the longer term. Short term, there could be a bit of a uh, a struggle there and some headwinds. But 
um, good company in that space, in that sector. Uh, Goodman, another really good uh, company in that, that property sector, but um, priced really high at the moment. So a no from both Howard and Gary. Uh, GPT, a no from both of them. Red Cape Hotels, um, a no from Howard. It hasn't been listed that long to get through the Team Invest filters. And Gary, after looking under the hood, actually quite likes it um, and is going to watch it, um, put it on his watch list because they've got some good hotels and COVID seems to be uh, playing into its hand. Uh, Clover Corporation, a no from Gary, a yes from Howard, and Nearmap, a no from both of them. Now, here at the call, we have our own portfolio. We've been tracking since July 1. Any stocks that get uh, a thumbs up from both um, our expert panellists go into the calls portfolio. If they come up again and they don't get the two thumbs up, they go out. And in fact, uh, that's the case with Goodman uh, because it was in the portfolio, but because both Howard and Gary think it's too highly priced now, um, it goes out. So if we look at how the calls portfolio has been going, down 3% for the last week, up four and a half for the month and up just under 10% since uh, July 1, the start of the year. Take a look at some of the stocks recently added, Appen and a few ETFs from our ETF special episode, the uh, Morningstar Global Tech ETF, the Vectors Video Gaming and Esports one, uh, the new China ETF and the Property Securities Index. Uh, some of the stocks recently taken out, Avita Therapeutics, and Regis Resources. Now, if you uh, want to check out what's in the portfolio, uh, go to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio and we'll keep checking it. Uh, and make sure you're watching our US coverage tomorrow afternoon. Uh, the key states of Georgia, Florida will close at midday in the states. So by 1 p.m. we may start to see the first signs of some trends in the election. Joining us, our experts, Grant Wilson from Exonte Data, James Callaway uh, from Lanier and uh, Ilya Spivak from Daily FX as we take you through all of the data coming through. That's from 1pm tomorrow right here on Ausbiz. It's going to be a pretty interesting day for the markets as those election results come through during our trading day. Uh, let's get into the um, second five stocks you want us uh, to give a view on. Um, Howard Charles wants a view on Australian Pharmaceutical Industries. It's a health and beauty distribution wholesale product delivery service. They, um, um, they distribute product to uh, groups like uh, Priceline, Sol Pattinson and Pharmacists Advice. Three main businesses, distribution, manufacturing and retail in that uh, health and beauty area. What do you think of API? Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously, Priceline, we all know, you yep. see them all over the place. Um, look, uh, the problem they've got is there's wholesalers in a space that's dominated by a couple of big players, Chemist Warehouse, Priceline, etc. Um, there's pretty much a fight to the bottom. Everybody's trying to shave another cent off here and a cent off there so that they can advertise on television that you can buy cheaper from them than anywhere else. Now, the sad thing about that is, as the expression goes, market share is vanity, profits are sanity, and free cash flow is reality. And um, while this sort of war where they're fighting for market share keeps going on, it's very hard to see them ever turning into a wealth winner. 
and their return on equity is most years been sub 10%, which is not very good. Earnings per share uh, have been going slightly backwards, so it's not surprising that their share price has been going down because share prices in the end are driven, in the long term, are driven by earnings per share. And with the earnings per share dropping about 5% a year, it's not surprising the share price is going down. So um, certainly not a company that I'd be enthusiastic about. Um, one of the two participants has actually got to decide um, we no longer want to try and grab market share. What we actually want to do is be profitable and growing our profits. And if that means we sell a bit less but make more money, um, that would be good for shareholders. So definite no from me. Right. Gary? Yeah, first look, probably my first thought was sort of no as well. Not didn't like the sort of sector and um, margin of the business. But having a deeper look here, if you look at the numbers there, so market cap's only about 539 mil, so not, not massive. It's doing four billion in revenue. Um, gross profit is around about 474 million. The EBIT's around 56. So the net profit ends up around about 32 mil. So not too bad here. The, the thing that really jumped out was that they have reduced their working capital costs um, from about 280 mil down to 110. So a few brokers have actually taken notice of some of the cost cutting going on there. And just mm. the sort of better, uh, you know, um, just w w whether that's a one-off or not, but if that's if that's a sort of a step in the right direction, there it just it seems that there's a lot of different brands, a lot of segments, a lot of products there. Yeah. So costs are pretty high. So I think net margin, gross profit margin is about eight percent on all the sales there. So as Howard yeah. said, it's it's quite quite tight. But the fact they've actually sort of um, cleaned up the bottom line there, maybe might be some sort of streamlining of the product there. Just definitely want to keep an eye on here. Actually, it's not not expensive here and does does appear like management are maybe making some changes there. It's just, it is a low margin business, so it's not gonna shoot the lights out. Right. But potentially, there's some upside in the stock here without mm. without being too sexy, I guess, on the upside. Okay, yeah. all right. So uh, put that on the watch list again. Um, now, Bryce, uh, Gary wants a view on Nick Scarley, the, the big furniture uh, retailer that, um, had some pretty impressive figures during COVID, haven't they? As everyone has yeah. spent their job keeper on new new couches and lounges. That's right. So a bit of a <laughs> bit of a sweet spot at the moment. So market cap is about six hundred and seventy-two million. <coughs> PE is just under sixteen. So not not too high, but still mm. probably high for the segment. Historically, you probably find that is really high. But considering the growth, it's probably not. It's just. The question here is, when's the sweet spot end here? You know, a yeah. lot of the, the stimulus money, uh, I sort of think that technically it looks a little bit uh, pretty vertical as well. So look, I, I think this is a business, if you wanted, if you really want, like this company wanted to buy it, I wouldn't be buying it here. Right. I'd, I'd be waiting for a bit of a cool off in the price there. So, but I, my concern is here, they've had a really, the stock's had an amazing run. It's priced in all this growth at the moment. Just don't see that growth continuing, I think, yeah. you know, there'll be a little bit of a, you know, we'll go back to more normal sort of uh, returns here. So, right. yeah, it's just, for me, I think the price is going to cool off here. I think you'll probably see the stock come back to seven, seven fifty somewhere in that sort of price range. Oh, okay. So yeah. around there, yep. you'd uh, be interested in it. Yeah, it's a bit like Harvey Norman as well. Just yep. good. They're just, they're just in a really yep. sweet spot here. So you're, you've got all the risk here buying them because you're buying them on the current climate, the current environment, the current high right. multiples. Yeah. So it's great if COVID continues and we keep buying more furnitures at home, but the, the, yeah. the reality is we're not. Yeah. We're going to basically some stage, I, we'll come out of it and probably 
go I just to work. Lo- yeah. love their business model though because you go in and look for a lounge <laughs> and you choose it and you go, oh, can I get it delivered next week? Yeah. Oh, no, it'll be two months. So you buy it, then they get it manufactured yeah. and you go, wow, no stock. That's yeah. really good for the business. Um, Howard, what do you think of Nick Scarley? Yeah, great business model, an extremely yep. well-run business. Still the Scalia family, still running it. Uh, Anthony Scalia still is the CEO. His father was the original. Uh, I think it may have even been his grandfather, but I think it was his father. And um, a great businessman. They, they run it really well, very shareholder-focused. But as Gary says, you know, uh, and in fact, I said in the very early days of COVID, when we were talking about what kind of businesses would benefit, I said people who sell furniture will benefit because if you're sitting at home all day, you're going to look at your furniture and say, gee, this is uncomfortable or gee, I don't like this. Let me get something new. So they've benefited from people buying new lounge suites because of working from home. Um, The other time they normally benefit is when people are changing homes because you buy a new home, you move in, your furniture doesn't fit. It's too big. It's too small. It's the wrong color. It's the wrong style. But the trouble is you don't do this every year. So the big boost they've got from working from home will probably only continue, even if we continue working from home, will only continue for a while. Then people will largely have decided they've bought a new lounge suite, whatever it is, and they won't buy another one for many years. So people moving out of apartments into houses because of COVID, that will help them. But as Gary says, how long term is this? And they've fairly largely covered the Australian and now beginning to the New Zealand market. So their growth is going to have to come uh, if they want to continue growing and and don't want to just be a great dividend payer. A lot of the growth will have to come from offshore. They were at one stage talking about looking at Singapore uh, and that may give them a boost. But uh, I think it's an incredibly well-run business. Um, It's only flying the ointment on our metrics is because leases under AASB 16 are now counted as part of debt. Um, They've got a lot of leases, so their debt looks high. My guess is Anthony Scalia will now start looking at ways of reducing that. Um, But uh, as Gary says, a little bit expensive now. I don't think it's that hugely expensive. Its PE ratio is roughly in the middle of its range. Uh, We like to buy things when they're in the bottom quartile. So a couple of days of bad news or something that causes Nick Scarley to get down to something that starts with a seven. Gary said 750. I don't object to that, but I like the business. A little bit expensive now, but not dramatically so. So, okay. uh, you know, uh, uh, it wouldn't have to drop a lot for me to say I'd be happy to buy it. All right. Um, Shang wants a, uh, a view, Howard, on TPG Telecom. This is the... I think it's the the, the biggest of the uh, second biggest of the telcos behind uh, Telstra now. Of course, um, recently merged with uh, with Vodafone um, Communications, um, offers voice, internet, data to uh, retail, small business, corporate, and government. Um, so, like a a mini Telstra, isn't it? Yeah, and unfortunately, the ACCC gave Telstra a lovely free kick. They helped the biggest incumbent uh, gain uh, at the expense of competition. I mean, so often the ACCC, which says it's in favour of competition, lands up uh, acting against the interests of competition because by delaying its decision and then rejecting it, finally getting beaten in court, 
It gave Telstra an opportunity to build its 5G faster than TPG was able to do so. So the big advantage TPG had of being able to roll out its 5G first, and then the government made it worse by not allowing Huawei, um, hasn't helped. But, um, you know, David Teo is an extraordinarily uh, smart, long-term thinking businessman. The only question is, will he remain very focused on Australia? Or now that they've separated out the Singapore operation, is that going to become his main focus? If the latter, I wouldn't be as enthused. If the former, and he's still going to be very committed here in Australia, I would think that they're going to be, as they have been, the best-run business in the sector. But it is a capital-intensive business because mm. whatever G we currently use, a new G comes out every couple of years that you've now got to spend a huge amount of money on uh, installing everywhere because if you don't, your competitors get ahead of you. So it's not an industry that enthuses me, but if you wanted to be in this industry, uh, TPG is definitely the place to be, not uh, Telstra or, mm. or one of the others. So um, it's sort of a yes from me if I'm convinced that David Teo will be heavily involved for the long term. If I heard that he was no longer going to be and he was going to focus on Singapore, I then changed to a no. Okay. Gary? Yeah, no, I agree 100% with what Howard's saying there. So in terms of the sector, I think it's the pick. Um, the price point here is not too bad here. Obviously, sort of we're back to sort of the, the year lows here. Yep. Um, so not a bad price point here. I see that um, most of the brokers are sort of factoring in, um, what, you know, 2.5% revenue growth here for TPG. They're looking for TPG to sort of over the next four or five years to maybe sort of uh, pick up another six points of market share growth, right. get, get about a billion dollars of the synergies of the, of the merger there. So uh, I think they might surprise there. So yeah, so most of broker valuations are a little bit higher here. Um, and I think they're quite modest mm. uh, goals as well in terms of uh, what okay. TPG might be able to outcome here. So yeah, I think uh, the thing is how it's right. I think if uh, David Teo is involved here, this business has got every chance of, um, of, of of, of, of doing better than some of those modest sort of outcomes there. So, yeah, I think it's actually, um, I think it's probably a buy here or, okay. or under, under $7 here, so, yeah. Terrific. All right. Um, Mark, uh, Gary wants a view on uh, Ingham Group, the big chicken and turkey uh, producer and distributor uh, around the country. Also, they're in uh, stock feed as well to that poultry, pig and dairy industry as well. Yeah, so... They've actually chickens. come, yeah. So they've actually come back to they're at the lowest price. They've they've traded that here for the last few years. So ah. since they've actually uh, their short history. So from a price point of view, they look interesting technically. Wow. Um, you don't find many stocks below their March lows, do you? No, no. <laughs> so look, there's there's a bit of pressure at the moment. Obviously, with the lockdowns in Victoria, that's uh, they've taken a bit of an earnings hit with yeah. um, chicken sales, of course. Um, so some talk of a million dollar hit per week um, right. in terms of sort of revenue line there. Um, but you tend to think here, post-COVID there, um, there'll be an improvement there. And I think they're already, they've already basically sort of indicated that full year 22, you know, some companies can't even give us a forecast now, but yep. Ingham's are giving us a, um, some numbers out to 22 here. I think there'll be yep. a, a jump in EBIT around about 19%, up to around 221 mil. So, they're under pressure now, but they think they'll they'll be coming out the other end. So the market's mm -hmm. kind of reacting 
short term to the to the squeeze here. Um, so yeah, definitely interesting segment. Food segment's pretty pretty yeah. robust, pretty safe place to be. COVID, yeah. just the lockdowns, hotels. That sort of business, cafes are sort of under a little bit of pump there, um, but definitely a business that's, um, once we get to the tail end of COVID here, this is probably a business that's probably gonna, well, the stock price is gonna bounce back here. It's just, at the moment, there's a little bit of pain being felt in the business, right. but it's probably a short term. So it's about what multiple, what how cheap we get here. So um, definitely one to keep an eye on here. It's probably a buy here for mind. Yep. Um, but yeah, maybe it comes slightly lower here. Maybe it gets a bit more pain in the short term, but. Definitely mm. one to be having a look at here. Mark. Okay. Uh, Howard, Ingham's? Yeah, we in Team Invest never get enthused about any of the agricultural type commodities. Uh, too many things go wrong in those kind of businesses and seem to do so very frequently. Um, and on top of that, among their biggest customers are the big supermarket chains, you know, Woolworths, uh, Coles and Aldi. Um, and of course, if they see you making any kind of a decent profits and you're a listed company, they're going to squeeze you on the price in order to pass it on to their customers. So um, they are de partly dependent on selling to the hotels, restaurants, etc. There they've got better margins, but um, agricultural commodities never enthuse us in Team Invest, so a no from me. It's also got a lot of debt, by the way, um, which uh, means it wouldn't come anywhere close to passing our debt filters. It's way, way sure. over. Okay. One little plus there, Dave, is actually the this is probably one of the, going to be one of the best wheat hauls in Australia for a long, long time. Right. So feed prices are going to come down ah. uh, in the future here. So okay. probably not so much now, but maybe in the next sort of twelve months. So right. one of their bigger costs hmm. are going to be a little bit, a little bit cheaper okay. moving All forward. Right. Here, so yeah. Um, and our final stock uh, is uh, suggested by Costa Howard Integral Diagnostics. Uh, in the healthcare business, uh, providing diagnostic imaging services for for GPs, medical uh, specialists as well. Um, they also have their IDX network of 45 so sites, including 12 hospitals. Um, integral Diagnostics? Yes, um, I, I need to say at the beginning here that uh, um, uh, viewers better be aware, I know the CEO extremely well, uh, Ian Kadish, he serves on the TIP Group board together with me, so uh, I know him extremely well. He's a fantastic CEO. Um, I think would only be good for any business that he's running. He's originally a doctor by training, so he's right. ideal for this kind of business. Um, doesn't pass our filters, but only one of them. Return on equity is excellent. It's, you know, passes our filters all the time. Earnings are growing nicely. The debt levels are a little bit high. So we would want to see in Team Invest the debt levels coming down before we would look at this company seriously. But if you're going to back the management of the company, at least you've got, in my opinion, and I admit I'm biased, uh, somebody here running the business for you who's going to be looking after your shareholder wealth as uh, really well, both from a trustworthiness point of view and a capability point okay. of view. So. Um, if the debt levels came down, I'd be a definite yes, but because they're a bit high, it doesn't pass Team Invest filters, so I'm a no. Yep. Uh, Gary? Yeah. Uh, share price almost record five-year high. It has had a good run, yeah. So the market cap's about $818 million now. Uh, the is around 33 which does look a little uh, pricey there. Um, but look, the, the last result there was operating revenue was up 18%. I think EBITDA was up 20%. Net profit 
was only about nine and a half. Obviously, you got a bit of cost with COVID right. coming in, so yep. that does impact the, the bottom line. The only negative I saw there was that it wasn't too much guidance um, moving forward, so falling on the line of not giving too much going forward. But good business there, as Howard says, probably just a little bit, a little bit heavy on the debt. I think probably a little heavy on the P at the moment, but yep. but does seem to be a good mm. a good business uh, moving in the right direction. Yep. Um, there's some impacts here with the COVID there, but uh, they're going to be short term. So um, does look like a business to put on the radar. Okay. Probably one that uh, maybe sort of sub 360 might be worth a look yep. um, a little bit lower in price here. Okay. All right. Let's uh, recap the uh, the final five stocks as they come through. API, I know from Howard, but um, certainly on Gary's watch list now. Uh, Nick Scarly, uh, no, because of um, uh, how expensive it is, it is at the moment. But both Howard and Gary uh, would be very interested if it got down to that 750 range. Uh, TPG, a yes from both, as long as David Teo stays running the business, and um, that's a really good uh, thing for anyone investing. Always look at the management. Uh, Ingham's a no from Howard. A, um, uh, Gary quite likes uh, Ingham's at this price and some of the guidance that they're giving. And Integral Diagnostics, uh, a no from both. Um, but if it got down to around that 360 level, Gary would certainly be having a look at it. Uh, Howard Coleman from Team Invest, appreciate your time today. Always great to see you. And, Pleasure. Thanks. And look, Likewise, Thanks, likewise Gary Glover from Novus Capital. Good on you, mate. Thank, Thank you. you for that. Uh, that's our show for today. Any stocks you'd like us to cover, put them in an email to us, thecall at ausbiz.com.au. Tweet us using the at TV handle. Uh, just a reminder, if you want to take a look at the call's portfolio, uh, head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. TPG goes into it after today. Goodman's and Integral Diagnostics come out of it. Um, and don't forget, if you want a complete wrap up of what's been happening in the day in business and finance, uh, subscribe to the COB. Nadine and Scuddy wrap it all up in an email in your inbox at 5.30 every afternoon. Subscribe at osbiz.co slash join. And uh, be sure to join us later today. It's just one of the major things on the watch list, rates day. Uh, we're expecting a Melbourne Cup rate cut, of course, when the Reserve Bank uh, releases its announcement at 2.30 this afternoon. And EQ Economics' Warren Hogan uh, will be on standby right here. He's dropping in to Ausbiz around that 2.30 to give us his take. And from 3pm, we'll be joined by Richard Yenseger from ANZ and Sarah Hunter from um, uh, Biz Oxford Economics for their take on it as well. So a lot happening before the big race. We've got the big rates cut here on Ausbiz. So a lot happening this afternoon. Enjoy it, don't go away. Stay tuned right here. In the meantime, that's it from the call. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.